Welcome, church, to the house of the Lord this morning. Thank you, Sister Mary, for that delightful hymn. I hope you're ready to receive from the Lord this morning, church. We have the distinct privilege to welcome to the pulpit this morning. Uh, um, uh, what's that dude's name? You are now tuned in to the Sermon Archives of William R. Horn. Kingdom Dreamer Productions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome in, welcome in. Another episode of the Sermon Archives of yours truly, William R. Horn. Welcome in to another episode. We've been going through the sermons on my hard drive through date, and hopefully we'll eventually make it to my current day work. Uh, So the next one that's going to come up on our sermons due by date happened October 28th, 2012. So I would have just turned 21 years old. This again is another sermon at my church in Springfield, Ohio, uh, where I was youth pastor during my time at college. This sermon is called Your Lack of Faith May Leave You in the Wilderness, and it's uh, on Numbers 13. So that's what it is. I don't think I have any disclaimers for this, but my disclaimer holds true all the time. My mind's allowed to change. Uh, So follow me on Twitter, William R. Horn, H-O-R-N-E. Let's chop it up about whatever you want to chop it up about. Um, I do want to say one thing as I'm going through these sermons, um, starting to listen and learn from my past, the ways I've changed, the ways I think differently. It's been helpful. But I also want to note that sermons, messages are very contextual. These are all very contextual messages. So, um, And I believe all sermons... Uh, good sermons are contextual, meaning that they're going to speak to the context, to the body they're meant to. So uh, like this one here is directed at the needs of my church in Springfield, Ohio in the year 2012. So uh, we can bear fruit from listening to them in other places, but I don't preach sermons for mass, I don't know, listening per se, or I haven't in the past. And I don't think I will. So just know all messages are contextual. Let them bear fruit is what they will, but uh, it'll help you jump into a different context as well as you try to hear who needs to hear this message and in what context. So maybe that's you today. Maybe it's not either way. Rock with me. Roll with me. Let's jump in. So your lack of faith might leave you in the wilderness. Numbers 13. Morning, my church. Uh, my privilege to bring you the word today. Um, I'm excited. I hope you're excited. Uh, going back to that first song, it says, where you go, I'll go, and where you stay, I'll stay. I will follow you. I hope that that's true for you today, and that's, that's where I hope to take us today with the scripture. I pray that, that this book, the Bible, 
would not just be a holy book to you that you feel like you can't touch. And I pray that it, it wouldn't merely be a textbook to you that you can just study and, and diagram and pull apart. I pray that it'd be living instruction for you that would penetrate your soul and it would call you to a loving, faithful obedience. I know this is my, my prayer for myself daily because I know I'm, I'm prone to turn this thing into a textbook and just tear it apart and speak theology all day but never hit the ground in my life. And I know I'm prone to throw it to the wayside and just make it say what I want it to say so I can do what I want. But I know that my responsibility and yours alike is to accurately read, interpret, and apply this to our lives. And we see Paul, he writes in Ephesians, that God's intent was that through the church, his manifold wisdom will be made known. And in Christ, through our faith in him, we may approach God with confidence and in freedom. I hope that you receive that wisdom of truth today as we go through this scripture, resulting in you being confident to come before God and you being able to have a faith at all turns of life in what he has for you. This morning, I'm going to adventure into some somewhat unique territory, at least for myself, um, because I don't have a lot of experience preaching out of Old Testament narratives, mainly because of my youth and I'm, I'm prone to be straightforward, pack the punch, which is like Paul's epistles, it speaks my language. But I don't often find myself sitting in the narrative portions of scriptures and just soaking it in and seeing what truths come to bear in my life from those. So I hope today that you'll wrestle with this text with me, that we could go through this narrative, um, which is a, a decently long narrative, but you'd stick with me and we can see the picture that Numbers paints. I also usually am not the type of guy to title my sermons. I just never have made that a habit of mine. But I had to title this one, and the title is this. Your lack of faith may leave you in the wilderness, but not forever. Your lack of faith may leave you in the wilderness, but not forever. You can turn to Numbers chapter 13 with me, and we'll begin this story. Now, there's... 70 some odd verses to this story, and I'm not going to read all 70 some odd of them to you um, for time's sake and your own benefit, I guess. But I challenge you to read this, actually the whole book of Numbers, um, in your own time and really look and get the whole picture of the narrative. And I know I'm not allowed to challenge you in the intro, but I just did. So I, I challenge you to read it, use some good outside sources and seek wisdom from it. But our focus today is going to be in Numbers 13 and 14, so stick with me and hopefully we can paint this picture accurately. Uh, first, before we get into it, though, we need to step back and see the progress up to this point in the narrative. Uh, we see the story of the Old Testament, or in our case, just Exodus and Numbers. We see God's chosen people, the Israelites, being redeemed and brought out of slavery out of Egypt through the leadership of Moses. God promises to bring them to the promised lands where they can establish a new nation. 
And during this exodus, we come across all the familiar stories we heard in Sunday school, if we were in Sunday school, about the plagues on Egypt because of Pharaoh's hard heart. And we see Moses splitting the Red Sea and all of Pharaoh's army drowning behind them as the waters crash back down. We see them begin their journey through the wilderness complaining about a lack of water, and God provides. They complain about a lack of food, and God provides. They complain about this wilderness, and God comforts and provides. We see God giving Moses the Ten Commandments for him to just come down from the mountain and shatter them because the people were worshiping idols. And we see this journey just continue through the wilderness, and we see all the problems you get when you just deal with people, right? You know, the complaining, the arguing, the gossip, the works. They had it all on this journey. And now let's fast forward to Numbers 13, and we'll pick it up here. Remember, the mission of this exodus was for them to get to the promised land. That's the goal. That's the big picture. And right now, they're just outside of it, camping in the wilderness at Paran, at Kadesh, and there's going to be a lot of places I name in here, and I wish I had a big map to point it out to you, but I don't. So that's another thing to do in your free time is to look at a map of this area. But let's pick it up in Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. It reads, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, Every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of the Lord and all these men who were head of the sons of Israel. So we see the Lord promising Moses that this, this land that he's been talking about this whole time is just over the hill. It's just in this land over here, the land of Canaan. Get your leading men from these 12 tribes of Israel and have them go spy out the lands. And we see as he continues in verse 17 through 20, he gives instruction for them to look at the land, see if it's good or bad. What fruit does it have? How are their camps? How strong are these people? So Moses sends out the spies. And they're gone for 40 days. And rightfully so, is their round trip was about 500 miles of travel. Most of the time we just read this and we think, oh, they just like went up to the hill and peeked over and spied on them. Now they had a big travel ahead of them. So they were gone for 40 days. And out of these 12 spies, I want you to remember two names, because I don't want to read all the names to you, because I'll mess them up, and we won't remember them. But I want you to remember Caleb and Joshua. Those are the two names I want you to remember. But let's, let's continue through this and jump to verse 25 in chapter 13. It says, When they returned from spying out the land... At the end of the 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit they had in the land. And if you look back previously, they talk about this fruit being so big that they had to have two guys carry it with a pole. Uh, so that's, that's some fruit. I don't know where they got it, but Kroger doesn't sell that to us anymore. So... Verse 27, thus they told him and said, we went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruits. Nevertheless, the people who live there are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. 
Another thing I wish I could go into detail of, there's a lot of details of this story I wish I could do. But there's a lot of tribes in this land of Canaan, um, and they're really just concerned about a knock. Um, so the big picture the spies are trying to tell Moses in the congregation is these dudes are big, right? These dudes are huge, and their cities are guarded. It's said that these guys stood somewhere between seven and eight feet tall, which is quite large. And the cities had walls around them that were 20 feet thick and 25 foot high. So it's like a land full of 7'2", 350-pound Shaquille O'Neal's running around trying to lop off your head with walls around it just for measure. So if running into these descendants of Anak is not what they want to do. They don't want to do that. Jump down to verse 30. Then Caleb, who you remember is one of the spies, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against these people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the lands, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw are men of great size. Verse 33, we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. So Caleb, one of these spies, he's ready to go, right? He wants to take this promised land. And he knows God has already said it's theirs. But the others, not so much. They don't want to do that. They say this land is a land that devours its inhabitants, which in my language means if you run up in there with fighting words, your good is dead. That's what they're saying. You can't go in here without dying. We are like grasshoppers to them. We don't want to die. So this bad report now is floating throughout the camp, and all the Israelites begin to mourn and cry because they think they're not going to make it to this promised land. Numbers 14.2, it says, All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to him, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in the wilderness? Why is it the Lord is bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. So the Israelites are back to complaining, which they've done quite a bit. And we do quite a bit, too. They were crying that they'd rather die as slaves in Egypt than die trying to take this promised land. And they were for real, too. They wanted to get a, a leader to take over so they'd go back to Egypt. Because they know Moses wasn't going to go with that plan. And also notice they didn't complain to Moses or Aaron. They just grumbled against them, which gives me the impression that they were just arguing amongst themselves, never bringing their concerns to Moses, who could then bring it to God. And we don't know this for sure from the text, but we do see in their past they're prone to gossip, prone to complain amongst themselves, but never actually bring it to the people who can change things. And obviously Moses and Aaron know this. They can see what's happening. Uh, chapter 14, verse 5, it says, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of the assembly. In verse 6, Joshua and Caleb, who were the two spies who trusted God, tore their clothes. 
which in this time was a sign of agony, grief, and high emotion. Numbers 14.7. This is the passage that Mark began to read to you. Caleb and Joshua spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said, stone them. So Caleb and Joshua, they get it. They know God promised them this land, and they had to have faith and trust that he would take them through this battle, even though it didn't look like it to their eyes. They're telling the people, the Lord will give us this land. So do not rebel against him, and don't fear these people. We will win. But they just want to stone him. Right? You ever feel like somebody wants to stone you because you're that crazy for God? That's kind of where Caleb and Joshua are at right now. They just want to stone them even though they knew the truth. So we've seen this story play out. It's probably getting pretty wild right now, right? Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb are saying, hey, we got to go take this land. And everybody else is yelling and fighting and arguing and saying, let's just stone them all and run back to Egypt. And I'm sure you can guess who steps on the scene next. The one who always steps on the scene in his perfect timing. God. Verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people spurn me and how will they not believe in me despite all the signs which I've performed in their midst? So God's like, do these people not remember all the times that I've provided? I brought them out of Egypt. I got Pharaoh's army done behind them, right? I provided water. I provided food. Do they not remember? Why do they not have faith? What's up with this? And then God threatens to wipe them out and make a nation out of Moses. But Moses replies, reminding God of his strength and his glory he had before the Egyptians. And saying, if, if they hear that you let these people die in the wilderness, they're going to think you're a joke. That's not going to bring glory to you, God. You are God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquities and transgressions. Please forgive these people like you have in the past. And God does. Now, it's not like God forgot who he was and needed Moses to remind him who he was. It's not that at all. Many scholars believe that God was just checking Moses' attitude because he said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And he did this before in Exodus. But Moses says, no, this is who you are. This is what your plan is. And I know this. And I'm going to stick by this. Right? And in Exodus 34, 6, God already stated that his character was abundant in love and forgiving of transgressions. And Moses is probably thinking back to that time before when he had this opportunity to become the nation himself and just say, forget all these people that have been complaining against me, but I can take over. So God deals out the real plan here in verse 20. He says, I have pardoned them according to your word, but indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all men who have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times, 
and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurn me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, and he follows me fully, I will bring him into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. So God's questioning, why do I have to deal with these evil congregation that just continues to complain, continues to not have faith? Therefore, this generation will not enter the promised land, he says. Only the faithful ones in Caleb and Joshua will enter. But for now, you must all turn back to the wilderness and not enter this promised land. You didn't take it while you had the chance. Jump to verse 29. 14:29. Your corpse will fall in this wilderness, even all your number of men, according to your complete number, from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Your children, however, whom you said will become a prey, I will bring them in. And they will know the land which you have rejected. Verse 33. Your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness. And they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpse lie in the wilderness. Yeah. So now, now Israel's kind of blew it. Right? This isn't looking good. And they're, they're done. That's kind of how it looks right now. They had a chance to enter the promised land and they didn't trust God to take them through the battle. Their unfaithfulness left them in the wilderness. And it not only left them in the wilderness, but it left their children to suffer for 40 years until they could enter the land too. Notice that only Caleb and Joshua are commended for their faith. They're the only ones, he says, from this first generation that will be able to enter the lands. Not even Moses is mentioned here, and we don't find out why until we get to Numbers 20 where Moses misrepresents God and is told he can't go into the promised land. That's a story for another day. Only the faithful will get to feast on the promises of God. Only those who trust in him, despite how the situation looks, will truly flourish. Also note that God is still faithful to his promise. He doesn't say, no, I'm not bringing anybody to land, but he says, the next generation, your children They'll enter the lands. They will fulfill my promise. And when you read the whole book of Numbers, you get to the end of it, and they've been in the wilderness for 39 years after this, and they're sitting back outside at the exact same place they are in this story, ready to enter again. And Numbers kind of ends there. We don't see the promise fulfilled until we get into the book of Joshua, and they actually go into the land, and Israel is now a nation. But jumping back to our story for today, it's not quite yet done, right? They really screwed up. God says, just turn around, go to the wilderness. You got to wait 40 years because you didn't have faith. But in the last six verses of chapter 14, we see Israel's guilt come out, right? They decided now that they've seen the wrath of God and realized they messed up, we're just going to take this in our own power. We got this, right? So... They decide they're going to go take the land themselves after they already rejected this land. Not a smart choice. 
Moses tells him, don't do that. The Lord is not going to be on your side this time. You already rejected it. Listen to him this time. He said, turn around and go to the wilderness. Don't take the promised land. You, we have consequences of this to face. But as you know, they didn't listen. They seem to never listen. So they go up into the hill country and they try to take this land. And they're just crushed. Beat down by the Canaanites. Done. And they had to retreat even farther because they chased them back. Reality is, as you see for the Israelites, is guilt's not going to fix anything. They were guilty, right? And they felt the guilt of that, but that didn't fix anything. They still had to deal with the consequences of their sin. There was no way around it. And that's what the Israelites had to wake up to. Yes, God forgives, but being guilty won't solve our problem. We must have faith and rest in God's love and grace, even when we're facing the consequences of our own sin. So what's the point? I hope you guys see the picture of this story that Numbers tries to paint to us, but how can we apply this to our lives? We're not the Israelites, nor are we trying to take any land. We're just trying to live, right? So let's look at what can cause our faith to lack, first off so we won't end up in the wildernesses of our day. The first thing that can cause our faith to lack is fear. Fear. Looking back to 14, 7 through 9, we see Caleb and Joshua speaking to the congregation, and they gave them two commands. One, do not rebel against God, and two, don't fear these people. The Israelites' fear of the Canaanites caused their faith to lack. They were afraid of the battle that lied before them, so they ran away. They avoided it. How many trials in our life do we just run away from because we're afraid, right? God's taking us to a place, and we just avoid it because we can't see how it's going to happen. The Lord commands us to walk through our trials knowing that it will grow our faith, and he will sustain us. We must trust God to take care of us in all these situations we face. In life, we're fearful the finances won't come in, so we go and get money our own way, even if it's not good. We're fearful of the future. We don't see how we can make it to the next step. There's too much risk, so we stay complacent where we're at and never move to where God wants us. Right? We're fearful of the trials in our life. But I tell you, if we just trust God and seek out his plan, We'll do more than just walk through those trials, but we'll walk as conquerors, and we'll have victory in them. Yes, fear is real, but it doesn't have authority in our lives. Don't let fear cripple your faith. The second thing that I see in this story that causes their faith to lack and causes our faith to lack is forgetting God's providence. Forgetting God's providence. Looking back at chapter 14, verses 20 through 24, we see God questioning why they don't have faith. They just simply don't have faith. He says, they've seen my glory, they've seen my signs, but they still put me to the test ten times, and they haven't listened to my voice. And if we look at the story of the Israelites, they easily had ten major times where they questioned God. How many times have you questioned it? 
How many times have you just forgot what God did in your past? Forgot all the times he provided. It seems like we continually walk into trials and act like God has never acted in our life. Like he's never provided, he's never protected. We just negate the past, acting like, well, God ain't going to come through this time. I'm in trouble. Forget it. But he always does. When we forget about what God has done for us, what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, when we forget about his intervention in our lives, we will soon find ourselves wandering in the wilderness with not a lot of hope. I beg you, don't forget what God has already done. Thirdly, our faith will lack when we seek to grab life by our own means. Our faith will lack when we seek to grab life by our own means. In the beginning of chapter 14, the Israelites were complaining about the situation, which we're all too good at. Nobody has to teach us how to complain. But they're complaining, saying, we can't do this. We need to go back to Egypt. So they make a plan to take it in their own hands. They say, let's appoint a leader and return to Egypt. And then we see again at the end of the chapter, in their failed attempt to take the land by their own power, they end up being crushed. They said, all right, God, if you're not going to do it for us, we realize we did wrong, but we're going to go do it ourselves. And they just end up being beat down, crushed, done. In our life, we try to do things our way quite a lot, right? Our favorite saying is, it's my way or the highway, but that's the highway to hell. Pride comes before the fall, mind you, and our way never seems to work. It always leaves us empty and wandering in the wilderness, wondering what happened. This is why we need to, number one, look to God, and number two, seek wise counsel in our lives. Moses warned the Israelites before they went up to fight the second time. He said, don't do it, but they didn't listen. We must seek wise counsel in our lives so we can continue making the right decisions. So first look to God and then to wise counsel. And don't play yourself. You know what wise counsel is. So your buddy who's just living stupid and he tells you to do something, that's not wise counsel. If somebody else is telling you to do something, it doesn't necessarily mean it's wise, right? So look to people that are following God. Look to people that care about you, right? So number one, look to God. And number two, be wise about your wise counsel. This is what the church is for. We're here to build up each other in love and spur people to good deeds and faith. And God, he is overwhelmingly for us. We, just must, we must trust him and walk on his path. Don't let your heart deceive you. We don't know what's best for us. Martin Luther King Jr., he said it best. He said, nothing in all the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. Nothing in all the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance. So be wise. Trust God and not man. The fact is there will be many times in our life where we're left in the wilderness. That's just how it is. We're prone to be unfaithful to God, and we're prone to trust our deceitful hearts. But there's good news. God will never recant on his promises. He always keeps them. 
It's just our decision whether we want to be in on those promises or not. The truth is God doesn't need us. His promises will always be fulfilled with or without you. Just like the first generation of the Israelites who didn't enter the promised land. But thanks be to God that despite him not needing us, he chose us. He chose us to do work through us. He chose us to have this faithful relationship with him. He longs for you to have a relationship with him. And yes, we will fall, but God is always faithful to forgive, and he always draws us back unto him. The consequences of sin still remain, but the love of Christ is power over all. Jumping back to the passage, we look at the word unfaithful that happens in verse 33 of chapter 14. And it could also be translated as infidelity or adultery. So you can't say you can have faith without being faithful. They can't be separated. For me to separate faith and faithfulness, and I've been throwing this on my youth group for quite a while, is, is like me to say, I have faith in Kylie, right? And if you didn't know, I really love her. But say, I have faith in her, but I go and cheat on her. But it's cool, I just come back and I say, baby, I still got faith in you. That doesn't work, does it? But how often do we do that with God? Right? We go live unfaithful and then we tell others, I still got faith in God. They don't go together. Faith and faithfulness must not be separated. They're one and the same. And the Israelites, they had to figure this out the hard way. Don't reject this relationship of faith with God. The Israelites did it, and they were unfaithful to him, and they ended up in the wilderness for 40 years. Are you unfaithful to God? Or will you be like Caleb, who had a different spirit and followed God to the fullest? I feel like that was fast. The, the band can come up now. But the question I want, I want you guys to get through your brain is, do I trust in the promises of God? Do I truly trust in the promises of God? Or do I just run away because I'm scared? Or do I try to take life by my own hands? God longs to live in this relationship of faith with you, where you can feast off the promises of God. It's your choice to join in. It's your choice to have faith. So come forward today. Accept his grace in your life and this love he has for you. Because when we put faith in him and in his glorious promises, I promise you we won't be in the wilderness. Amen. listening to another episode of the sermon archives from william r horn make sure you subscribe rate review and check us out on youtube follow your boy on twitter at william r horn h-o-r-n-e and check us out 